0: morning, African. welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi in Washington. Today is Wednesday, March the 16th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. East African neighbors Rwanda and Burundi are continuing to mend ties after years of frosty relations.
1: It's long overdue because I think that peace and security
0: is... An enabler of our integration. A court in Zimbabwe has decided a New York Times journalist must go on trial next month. And the Kenyan government has given over 7,000 non-governmental organizations 90 days to file their annual returns with the NGO Coordination Board of Risk Deregistration. And out
2: of those 9,000 that are active, just about 3,000 have filed compliance
0: reports. A World Bank study has found South Africa to be the most unequal country in the world with women of colour, affected the most. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on The Break Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Burundi and Rwanda are continuing to mend their relations that had been deteriorating since 2015. This comes as President Evariste Ndayishimiye received Rwanda's defense minister as part of the dialogue to normalize ties, Moses Avyarimana reports. Burundi's President Evariste Ndayishimiye received a high-level delegation
3: from Rwanda in Gitega on Tuesday. Relations between the two neighbors deteriorated 7 years ago when Burundi's former president Pierre Nkurunziza vied for a third term, sparking protests throughout the country, Evelyn Butoyi is the spokesperson of Burundi current President Evariste Ndaishimiye. She says that the delegation also came to talk with Burundi's president in efforts to normalize the relations between the two countries and that the two countries are working hard to restore friendly relations they had for the better of the two countries. The two countries did not begin to normalize relations until 2020 when Burundi elected its new president, Evariste Ndaishimiye. Pierre-Seleste Rijema is a member of the East African Legislative Assembly and a former Rwandan prime minister.
4: I heard this morning that uh, very in, in, in a strong delegation from my country, from Rwanda, and this is a very strong sign of commitment and goodwill. You have heard recently the border have been opened on the side of Rwanda, the border are open and uh, we believe that soon on um, the side of Burundi, the borders will be open also. and This is a trend that shows that the kind of normalisation of a good relationship between Rwanda and Burundi.
3: Rwanda announced the reopening of its borders earlier this month after almost two years due to the COVID-19 restriction measures. However, Burundi said that its borders will remain closed as talks continue to normalize the two countries' relations. George Odong is a lawmaker from the East African Legislative Assembly.
1: It's long overdue because I think that peace and security is an enabler of our integration. And over the past years, we have seen that um, the relations between our partner states had begun to deteriorate. So to see the Minister of Defence coming over to Burundi and having conversations with the Burundi government on how best to normalise these relations is a positive traction, in my opinion, and I think it should be encouraged. And uh, we, as regional legislators, are happy with that development.
3: In 2015, when the political crisis erupted in Burundi, the government accused the Kigali of sheltering failed coup plotters. In return. Rwanda accused Burundi of sheltering the rebels from the FDLR, the Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Rwanda. Kigali accused them of committing the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi and moderate Hutus. Farmers in Burundi who used to export fruits and vegetables to Rwanda are welcoming the renewed ties. They say reopening of the borders will help boost the agriculture sector, which has been largely affected by the strained relations. Moses
0: for Voice of America. And still in East Africa, Ugandan lawyers and rights activists are demanding the release of an author and eight journalists detained since Thursday. The author is a critic of President Yoweri Museveni. Ugandan police say they were taken into custody after complaints of offensive communication from members of the public. Halima Atumani reports from Kampala.
5: On Thursday. Nine journalists, led by Norman Tumuhimbise, an author of books critical of President Museveni and his family, were arrested at their offices by what lawyers describe as a joint security team of the Uganda Police Force and soldiers of the Uganda People's Defence Forces. Documents presented to court state that the security personnel were armed with deadly weapons and brandished them with gusto as they stormed into the offices and made the arrests. All nine of those arrested work for Digitalk, an online TV station led by Tumuhimbise. Tumuhimbise was due to launch a book critical of President Yoram Seveni on March 30th. His lawyer, Geoffrey Turiamsima, speaking to VOA after appearing in court Tuesday, says the arrest showed the government does not respect the public's right to free speech.
6: There has been continuous threats, especially for those who come out to speak the truth or the reality, and the state does not want people to know the truth especially in regards to infringing on people's
5: rights fredenanga the uganda police force spokesperson confirmed to journalist Monday that they are being held at the special investigations division in kampala
1: we always
2: get complaints of, of offensive communication hate crimes and polarization uh, from certain sections of the public and concerned authorities so they were arrested along that and uh, They are at SID Chireka, there is a joint task team that is handling their matter.
5: Robert Sempala, the national coordinator of the Uganda Human Rights Network, says the journalists are being held in communicado and the state should have only arrested Tumuhimbise instead of the whole newsroom. Sempala says the state is trying to intimidate media outlets that air criticism of the president causing a chilling effect.
3: Meaning they will even arrest you, torture you, detain you in communicado, take you to court when there is a lot of noise and have no convicting evidence in any case. So the, the implication is that uh,
1: the media is strictly
3: being shrank, going by the different manifestations that uh, the powerful are uh, resorting to
5: The arrest of Tomuhimbise and eight journalists comes just a month after Penn International Award-winning author Kakuenza Rukirabashaija was arrested, tortured and detained. He was also charged with offensive communication for Twitter posts in which he made derogatory remarks about the president's son, Muhozi Kainerugawa, who is widely seen as Museveni's possible successor. Another author, Stella Nyanzi, was arrested in 2019 and jailed for 18 months for a poem criticizing the Fast family. Halima Money for VA News, Kampala, Uganda.
0: affected Islamist militants have killed more than 60 people over 5 days of attacks on villages in eastern Democratic Republic of Congo the assailants believed to be rebels from the Allied Democratic Forces ADF have targeted at least 5 villages and the offensive was still ongoing last year Congo's government appointed military officers to run North Kivu and neighboring Ituri province while Uganda sent more than 1000 troops in December to wage joint operations against the ADF group. The International Criminal Court, ICC, on Monday said that the former Central African Republic's militia leader, Maxim Geoffroy, El Mekom Guaka had been surrendered to the court by the authorities of Chad for crimes against humanity and war crimes. Mokom, a national coordinator of the so-called anti-Balaka militias, is accused of crimes against the Muslim civilian population, In the Central African Republic, crimes including murder, torture, extermination and the use of child soldiers. Daybreak Africa continues. A court in Zimbabwe has decided that a New York Times journalist must go on trial next month. Freelance journalist Jeffrey Moyo is accused of flouting Zimbabwe's immigration laws when he allegedly helped two foreign reporters enter the southern African nation illegally last year. Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare.
4: A court in the city of Bulawayo Tuesday dismissed a discharge application in the case against Jeffrey Moyam. Catherine Mpofu, one of Moyam's lawyers, said the journalist will now go on trial on April 28. She spoke to VOA from Bulawayo via WhatsApp.
6: And the magistrate uh, dismissed the application. He basically found that the state had laid enough evidence for Mr. Moyo to be put to his defense. In coming to this finding, it seems the magistrate relied on the fact that the state had led the evidence of the allegedly false accreditation cards that had been obtained by the foreign journalists. And based on his interpretation of the evidence led by the state, he found that it was sufficient to put the accused to his defense.
4: Moyo's lawyers believed the case might be dismissed after the same court earlier this month acquitted a Zimbabwe Media Commission official Tabang Manika for allegedly processing fake accreditations for two South Africa-based New York Times journalists who entered Zimbabwe and were later deported. Moy and Manika were being tried separately. Zimbabwe's government says both Moyo and Manika broke immigration laws. Information Ministry Permanent Secretary Dabaning Nick Mangwana commented on Tuesday's ruling.
0: We just want to see that this law and order, if somebody has committed a crime or is perceived to have committed a crime, they will have their day in court. So he's having his day in court. The outcome is not in our hands, it's in the hands of the criminal justice system. That's our position.
4: Tabani Moyo of the Media Institute of Southern Africa, or MISAM, has called for the journalist to be treated fairly.
1: Mr. Zimbabwe uh, underscored the need for fair trial. That is our position throughout, till the end of the case. All we are saying that he, just like any other citizen, deserves fair trial.
4: Jeffrey Moyo, a Zimbabwe national, faces up to 10 years in prison. If convicted, Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Harare, Zimbabwe.
0: The Kenyan government has given over 7,000 non-governmental organizations 90 days to file their annual returns with the NGO Coordination Board or risk deregistration. Maureen Ojambo has more.
6: Kenya's Non-Governmental Organization Board often threatens to deregister some Kenyan NGOs, accusing them of non-compliance with the rule of law and tax evasion, among other allegations. Speaking in Nairobi at the annual meeting for non-governmental organizations this week, Kenya's Interior Cabinet Secretary Fred Matiangi says that the groups must comply with the government for effective coordination of the activities.
2: And out of those 9,000 that are active, just about 3,000 have filed compliance reports. It means 6,000 NGOs have not complied, and it means that we have in our books something like 2,500 NGOs that are just case NGOs. And after 90 days, those who not have complied, we will assume... They do not actually need to operate as NGOs because they are not interested. Because if you are interested in operating, then you should also be interested in complying. Because as we say on one hand that we want to support you and do everything that you want done, we must also agree on the other that we also have to be obedient to the law and we must comply.
6: The government wants the organizations to allocate more funds to develop projects and that currently most of their budgets are being spent on salaries and other recurrent expenses. Matiangi says compliance will help weed out groups that might be receiving funds to finance terrorism in Kenya.
2: Are those resources coming here to help the people of Kenya? Or they are coming here so that we pay ourselves allowances while at the same time we are actually claiming we are getting these resources to do our work? It's easier for us to know that there are no people around who are being misused by terror organizations to masquerade as civil society organizations, but they are conduits for illicit funds and illicit resources that are going into radicalization and uh, recruitment for terrorism.
6: In the last two years, the Kenyan and Governmental Organization Board registered 2,000 NGOs for non compliance. William Kirwa, the chairperson of Kenya's NGO Coordination Board, says many groups are operating in areas that are not safe.
1: Some of these NGOs are working in quite some very, very difficult areas in this country uh, where we have insecurity. And maybe because of that, we would want to request uh, our GIP case to see how they can support insecurity in those areas. I'm sure you know areas of Baringo, areas of Transmara, areas of uh, even the northern Kenya, where a lot of NGOs are working to support the communities. And sometimes we are faced with challenges of security.
6: Executive Director Amnesty International Kenya Irungu and says... The ultimatum by the government to have NGOs compliance has brought tension to the sector, and that many groups are struggling financially.
2: Between 2014 and 2017, uh, the relationship between government and NGOs was extremely. Tense, and uh, we saw at least five attempts to curb uh, the capacities of civil uh, society organizations, including the very infamous 15% cap on foreign funding. There may be other reasons related to why uh, NGOs are not filing their annual returns. And I think that may be to do with the fact that many organizations have been struggling with funding.
6: Only one in six NGOs registered in Kenya filed their returns on an annual basis. Civil society groups in Kenya say most of the time election periods are tense and hope that the government is not going to use the electioneering period to intimidate them. Reporting for VUS Day Break Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California.
0: A World Bank study has found that South Africa is the most unequal country in the world with women of color hit the hardest by unemployment and gender-based violence, both made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. While analysts say apartheid and poor governance are to blame, community aid groups are working to address the issues. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg.
7: The consequences of inequality are playing out every day in the historically black community of Soweto. The non-profit group Phenomenal Women, which supports victims of gender-based violence, was due to open an office there nearly a year ago, but it was destroyed by vandals. Phenomenal women chairperson Chrisel Eust Swartz says it's another side effect of high employment rising drug use and crime
5: people struggle on a daily basis just to get by just to put one plate of food on the table so uh, it's joblessness there's no job opportunities there's a lot of unemployment in women but that's where GBV plays a huge part because remember if the woman is unemployed the husband goes to work He feels that uh, he's the one bringing in the money. It puts her in a very vulnerable position.
7: Phenomenal Women has expanded its work beyond gender-based violence. It's also collaborating with community agricultural programs to create jobs for youth. Makusini Ndlovu is a 26-year-old volunteer leading a community garden project.
0: No one gets a job. We've been
1: applying here, but, but no one gets a job. So we decided actually let's turn into agriculture. FOR SOMEONE MY AGE, THE WORST-CASE SCENARIO IS SOMEONE JUST TURNING INTO GANG BECAUSE THAT'S THE, LET ME JUST SAY, in, IN A PLACE LIKE THIS, THAT'S THE EASY WAY OUT.
7: THE ISSUES GO BACK GENERATIONS. THE WORLD BANK FOUND THAT THE COUNTRY'S HISTORY OF RACIAL SEGREGATION IS CONTINUING TO LEAVE BLACK AFRICANS ECONOMICALLY DISADVANTAGED. Perella APACHE IS THE EQUITY MANAGER FOR THE WORLD BANK.
6: WHAT IT MEANS IS THAT those children that are disadvantaged from birth are never going to reach their full potential. And if they don't reach their full potential, then the country doesn't need their full
7: potential. Better education and more equitable land ownership are among the solutions. The country already has affirmative action legislation that prioritizes hiring historically disadvantaged groups. But some experts say the policy has been abused and allowed nepotism and corruption, keeping wealth in the hands of a few. Gabriel Krause is an analyst for the Institute of Race Relations.
0: We've seen instances of specifically Black women not getting the promotion because of a quota system which says you're allowed three Black women and three Black men and one white woman and one white man. Trying to get a rainbow brochure in every department is having explicit detrimental effects on Black women.
7: The World Bank also says the government's taxation and wealth redistribution programs have made life better for the poorest. But the gap is widening, and parents like Swartz say they're left wondering if their hard work would be more fruitful abroad. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg.
0: And let's go to West Africa in Cameroon, where the government says that it will rebuild hospitals and clinics destroyed by Boko Haram terrorists along the border with Nigeria. In a visit to the area this week, officials said that the facilities were needed for villagers who have suffered from the conflict, as well as former Boko Haram members who have been rehabilitated. Moki Edwin Kinzeker reports from Yaounde.
1: Cameroon's Ministry of Public Health says at least 35 hospitals along the country's border with Nigeria have either been abandoned by medical staff or destroyed by Boko Haram terrorists. Minister of Public Health Manauda Malashi this week visited some of the remaining hospitals along the border.
4: We found motivated to the population. He
1: says although working and living conditions are very difficult, the few medical staff members in former Boko Haram-prone towns and villages are doing their best to save lives. Malashi says Cameroon's President Paul Biya has ordered his government to build and equip destroyed hospitals and recruit more health workers. He also says he asked several hundred hospital workers who fled Boko Haram terrorism to return to Cameroon's border with Nigeria. Malashi did not say when the hospitals would be rebuilt, but Cameroon's government says it will spend $300 million this year to reconstruct what Boko Haram destroyed, including hospitals, And medical equipment. Government troops have been fighting Boko Haram along the northern border with Nigeria since 2014. Cameroon's military says there have been about 25 cases of abductions and kidnappings for ransom this year, but no large scale attacks by the terrorist group. The military says the return to peace has allowed several thousand internally displaced persons and former Boko Haram members to return to their villages. But health care in the region is sorely lacking, say social worker like Jean-Pierre Ndlen in Kolofata district via a messaging application.
3: Young...
1: Len says youth of between 15 and 35 years old are a majority of the 150 people suffering from mental health disorders that the Kolofata hospital has received since January. He says trauma from seeing people dying or forcefully separated from loved ones, poverty, and risky living conditions are the highest causes of mental health disorders in Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria. Nland says the Kolofata hospital receives hundreds of patients every day, but has only seven healthcare workers. Speaking to Cameroon State Radio CRTV this week, Far North Region Governor Mijiyawa Bakari said the military has been helping civilians while they wait. For the government to rebuild hospitals.
4: No force de defense se sont mis des populations.
1: Bakari says most Cameroon's troops deployed to fight Boko Haram have been sent to border villages to provide health care and education to both returnees and militants who surrender and leave the terrorist group. He says Cameroon's military health unit visits border villages to provide humanitarian assistance and treat Sikh returnees, former fighters, and the host community. Bakari said thousands of Boko Haram fighters and supporters have defected from the terrorist group since last May, when the leader of the Nigerian militants, Abubakar Shekau, was declared killed. The United Nations says the Boko Haram conflict, which started 13 years ago in northeast Nigeria, has killed more than 350,000 people and displaced two million across Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. Moki Edwin
0: Kinzeka, for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Bunganyi in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.
1: Hello, I'm Douglas Simpoga, host of VOA's Reporters' Roundtable. Join us every Thursday as we discuss important African topics and events. I'll have a panel of African journalists and expert guests to discuss the topic at hand. We take a deeper look at important after news topics. That's Reporters' Roundtable every Thursday at 17.30 UTC right here on VOA Africa.
7: Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny and on Twitter at VOA sunny sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side